welcome back footy fans to another episode of Donnie's Disposals. I am your host, Coach Donnie Hess here, back with the final AFL round review of the year. The grand final has come. It has gone. We have a premiere, but before we go into that, I must introduce my guest hosts hopping on the podcast. I actually got them both together. I have to say this is a mighty good accomplishment for myself. The Americans watching the footy podcast, Ben and Ethan Castle joining me from California. Gentlemen, it is great to see you both. How about the footy this year? Great to be on with you. Yeah, it was considering that neither of our teams amounted to much. I'd say it was still a really entertaining <laughs> season. Yeah, and, um, I mean, I think this may have been the highest quality season that we've seen out of the four that we've watched thus far. For those of you who don't know, I am Benjamin. This is my brother, Ethan. This is his cat, Brian, who has a unique meowing style. And uh, yeah, we had so much fun going through this season. This was our second season podcasting. Brian wants to get down. There he goes. And we took in the grand final among a crowd of a few hundred people at the Golden Gate Ruse and Iron Maidens watch party in San Francisco. What do you say? Probably about, what, three to one Collingwood fans? No, I think it was, I think it was just about everyone who wasn't a Collingwood fan was pulling for Brisbane. So maybe like three to one Collingwood versus Brisbane, but the rest were neutrals. It, it came out to about a 50-50 mix. It was, it was a lot of fun. And we actually yeah. met one of our followers there as well. So thank you, Cameron. Yeah, it's always great. It's always great when you run into people that are that are super into the podcast for sure. So and it's great that you guys got to go to a watch party. We were originally we were planning on streaming uh, our, our live reaction, Ross and I, but unfortunately, Ross ended up having uh, because he's taken up a gridiron football coaching job. He was unable to do it and I wasn't able to flangle the the stream myself so i ended up watching mine on my ipad so just for just a chillaxing evening because i didn't i didn't want to try to get out too much but it was an incredible grand final so let's go through it just before we deep dive into this game which i think was an absolutely incredible grand final it's hard to argue that this was not one of the best grand finals that i've ever seen honestly just just when it comes to how close it was but just really quickly from both of you guys, your thoughts on this grand final, because this was, I as we kind of said, none of us had our team in the grand final, but this was the most gripping grand final I think I've ever had the luxury of watching that didn't involve my team. Well, I think it was the best two and a half quarters or so of footy, the first two and a half, and then it really slowed down. I think the heat got to the teams a lot. I think it was somewhere in the mid-80s Fahrenheit, so maybe high 20s Celsius. Can't forgetting the conversions right off the top of my head. But slowed down a lot late, and at that point, it was Collingwood's structure that ended up winning things out for them, managing to clog the corridor where Brisbane couldn't get much of their overlaps that they'd like to get, relied on more longer kicking, and that's going to play right in Collingwood's hands, even when they were without Nathan Murphy after he really selflessly ruled himself out following his concussion. And we've got word now that he's going to be uh, going to a concussion panel to see if he has a future still playing footy. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. The, my general takeaway was the better team beat the better players. I think Collingwood does have talent. I think they're already adding to that talent this offseason, which is terrifying. But 
Like pound for pound, you would take Brisbane's list over them, but Collingwood had the ability to finish quarters better. And they were just, you could tell they were prepared for every situation. And they came in with this, it wasn't quiet confidence. It was a bit of a louder confidence than they usually have. Like getting all excited when the camera showed them watching the pregame concert and just the way they came out of the tunnel. I thought they were going to run them over the way the game started. But it ended up being, as you said, tremendous game. I thought it was thoroughly entertaining throughout, regardless of how the pace changed. And it was cool that Bobby Hill got the recognition he deserved for a phenomenal season and another great game on top of that. What a story Bobby Hill, I mean, mm-hmm. comes over from the Giants after having battled testicular cancer and in his first season at his new club has a more prominent role than ever. I believe he'd, ha- he'd only had one three-goal game before this year. Mm-hmm. That was his debut. Then he has four or five this season, and his first four-goal game is the grand final for which he deservingly got the Norm Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was fantastic. He there's There was really no good matchup that Brisbane could put on him that, that would have led to an advantage on Brisbane's side, and you could tell that his, his pace was definitely something that their third or fourth defender just did not have. But, I mean... I expected I, a better game out of Brandon Starcevich, quite honestly, but he only got some wins against Bobby in the later part of things. Mm-hmm. And then they weirdly put Ryan Lester on him at times. And Lester is someone whose future I'm very unsure of. He was, when we uh, did our home and away previews, we did a sleeper pick for a player on each list. And I chose Lester. I think I was right in that, but at 31 and with Tom Duday coming in, I'm not sure what kind of a future he has when he's not the one-on-one defender that the Lions really needed those times. And speaking of one-on-ones, uh, I think it's fair to say, Ethan, they miss Jack Payne. Yeah, I didn't. Neither of us understood that list decision when they made it. I would have put Payne in there, considering he seemed to be, you know, if the report was he was able to go, I would have rather had him than one of Lester or Gardner, probably over Lester, as it turned out. Considering Gardner had also done a good job on mm-hmm. Charlie Cardo in the prelim, Gardner held him to one goal, Payne held him to no goals one on one in that uh, Friday night matchup earlier in the year. And I just think it would have been much better for Brisbane's defensive structure, allow Harris Andrews to continue being that rover. Because was... it ended up being Billy Frampton who stuck on Harris Andrews. And no matter what anybody says, he's a premiership player. And he did limit Andrews' impact, I'd say, for the first half. Yeah, I, I think Frampton, I mean, really, I think that's all Fly McRae told Frampton to do. He said, just make sure that Harris Andrews doesn't beat us. And it it was very interesting because Frampton did have a couple of opportunities to really impact that game, and, and neither ended up working out well for him. I know the one slipped through his hands and nearly falconed him. But this, this, was, just a, this was just a game for Collingwood where – I agree with you. The red time goals really killed Brisbane because Brisbane would get some momentum. Collingwood would end the quarter with a goal. Brisbane would get a lot of momentum. Collingwood would get a late goal. So this, it was always one where it seemed like every time Brisbane had a chance to really staple themselves into a better shot of taking the lead in this game, they just would find a way to lose it. And there was just, there was nothing they could do. it was almost kind of a destiny thing. Like it got, it got late and you kind of looked at it and you went, well, here we go. Calling what's going to do exactly like they did to GWS. They're going to shut it down. They're going to, they're going to sit back defensively, but they're going to be really structurally sound. They're going to make Brisbane beat them. And Brisbane just didn't have the legs to go late in the game. But this, this was just, 
a fascinating game. And I, I have to give my kudos to both Scott Pendleberry and Steel Sidebottom, both of those veterans kicking super, super important goals in this game that really kind of said it, especially Steel Sidebottoms late in the fourth quarter, because that really was the other sealer besides the Jordan besides the Jordan Degoe goal. So I mean, literally, I just I I I marveled at this game. Like the more I watched it, I was on the edge of my seat. Like I said, it, my team wasn't in this, but I was so emotionally invested. And, and there was a little part of me that, that that sat there and went, I was super happy for Mason Cox because of the fact that all of the BS that he's had to go through, not only from Collingwood supporters, but also supporters of other teams calling, calling, saying he's a waste of a list spot. He's just taking an Aussie. So for him to work his tail off and to play a, quite a good grand final against a much more established Rockman and Oscar McInerney. I had to say that it made me smile a little bit as that game ended to know that Mason Cox ha- will have a premiership medal. And and, and it's, it's a great representation. It's, it's really awesome uh, to see that. But I mean, do you guys want to go through this quarter by quarter or do we kind of want to move on and discuss the rest of the discuss kind of the season as a whole? Because, I mean, I could talk about this grand final forever because I mean, whether it was Collingwood's great start and then Brisbane's battle back into the second quarter to take the lead. I mean, what would you would you guys like to do a quarter by quarter wrap up or do we just kind of want to move on and we'll talk about the, the season as a whole? I'd be ready to go on to the season as a whole because I think you know a week plus later now it's. It, it all just kind of blends in a bit. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to, to speak to a, a couple of your points. So obviously, throw for Mason, being the first American-raised player to win a premiership. As I and a bunch of other people pointed out, he was not the first American-born player to win a premiership. Mm-hmm. That was uh, West Coast Eagles legend Don Pike, mm-hmm. who was born in Illinois while his father was teaching at Illinois State. But um, for, for everything Mason has gone through, for us kind of tracking his story over the past few years, for you for longer, for for every American who is invested in Australian rules football, they they get something out of Mason winning it. And to your point about Pendlebury and side bottom, Pendlebury's goal, I didn't realize he hadn't scored a goal in a grand final before. That was his fifth grand final because of the uh, replay in 2010 in which he won the Norm Smith. Mm-hmm. And it was that was really Bobby's chance for a fifth that he passed up to get Pendlebury the better shot. And... Out of the 100,000-plus people in the building, I think probably only two people knew that that was going to happen, and those were Bobby Hill and Scott Pendlebury. And then side bottom at 32 years old, Tom Mitchell at 30, glad he got the recognition finishing, I think, fourth in the Norm Smith voting. Mitchell played his best game since that patch of a couple best-on-ground performances he had near the midpoint of the season. So... The older players showed up for Collingwood when it mattered in the fourth quarter. Definitely for sure. So I I I agree with I agree with you on this, Ethan. I think let's let's move on because I think this thing has been talked to death. Actually, timeout. Let's 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 discuss the elephant in the room for some people. Your your guys's thoughts on the advantage call because I know this has riled up a lot of people, and for me, this is one of those where. I can see both sides of the argument. I can see where the people that are like, you got to let you, they, they played on Neil handballs it forward. Probably shouldn't have. He knew he was going to get a free kick. He was probably rushing it. 
And then the people that you can't really call advantage there because what advantage was there when the fact that Bailey has to basically do a bicycle kick to kick it over his head. So just really quickly, I, I know since you guys have not, um, since you guys have, you guys dive into this a little bit more, your thoughts on this, was this the right call to keep the advantage or or do you feel that this is one that probably should have been called back? I'm not super bothered by it. I know Ethan, that's the case for you. Yeah, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Like, I didn't notice even in real time that any sort of questionable call had even been made. It was only looking at social media after the fact I saw people complaining about it. I thought it was fine. And, I mean, he did play on, and then you, you wonder, you know, how much of a sliding doors moment is that? It was, what, about 40 seconds left. And, and looking at the broader picture, Brisbane had had one capable inside 50 mark all day, that being Joe Danaher. Had there been a free, Colin would have had, would have had the time to flood back and put another body or two on Danaher. So in the end, I don't think that was what ended up deciding the game. And I feel comfortable saying that. Um, and you were, I mean, if, was there, what was the one play to you that, that decided the game? I think back to um, just a couple of those end of quarter sequences. I mm-hmm. think of three end of quarter sequences, really, the, the first three. The two Collingwood goals, the one by going into halftime. Who was that? Was that Adams or no? No, no, no Adams wasn't playing. I meant uh, was that Chris? It was Jack Chris. Okay, yep, that was yep, just yep. a ridiculous goal, and it's like, what can you do with that? From mm-hmm. yeah, that was from fifty-five. Dugowie's a quarter time was the edge of fifty, and I mean that those, was preventable. Those are the mm-hmm. two perfect players for Collingwood to take those kicks, but also, you know, you talk about Brisbane kind of not really beating themselves. They did beat themselves there. Cam mm-hmm. Rayner needed to be needed to know slow things down at the end of the quarter. Don't take the aggressive option. Kick it to the flanks. Kick it down the line. Instead, he took the aggressive option to the corridor. And instead of Brisbane being lucky to, to escape the first quarter down four, they ended up down ten and with momentum completely on the pie side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. But both of those really, really killed. Really, really killed them. I'm one of those. I, I take I take this, and I know that social media again has its has its has its fun times sometimes. But I kept seeing everybody almost a little bit like, and I hate to do this to the to my crow supporters, but it, a little bit like the Sydney one. I keep saying Brisbane was robbed. Brisbane was robbed. Well, there's a massive assumption into that that because they didn't they because they didn't have the free kick come back that because they would have had the free kick they would have scored we don't know that 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 is that is hyperbole that is that is assuming that we know what's going to happen and we don't so i i i don't like saying they were robbed do, do they have a gripe absolutely did it cost them the game absolutely not because their decisions earlier in the game are what cost them this particular game because this game was so close because of red time goals honestly i think is the reason brisbane lost it not because of one decision were there a few questionable calls absolutely but there always is it's we have umpire we have human umpires umpiring the game they're never going to be perfect and anybody that thinks that these umpires are going to are absolutely insane so i i just thought it was really interesting that 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 word kept being thrown up robbed robbed and he's like no I understand that they have a gripe. I understand they have an argument, but you can't assume that you know the result 
just because of hindsight and how it turned out. So this is one of those, I, like I said, I understand it both sides. I understand Brisbane's gripe that maybe it should have been called back because of the fact there's a hundred thousand people. How the heck is Bailey supposed to know that a free kick is called there? So like I said, I understand it both ways. So I, I will kind of, I will be Switzerland in this particular argument on this one and really kind of take the middle ground. So I always like doing this in, 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 in my, in my kind of end of season ones. And I like kind of looking back at the season as a whole, but I wanted, I, I love doing this. I like figuring out games of the year. And, and I know everybody was talking, this is the greatest grand final, but I'd be interesting to know for each of you gentlemen, what was your game of the year? What's the one game you could go back on watch AFL right now. And you had to watch to remind you of this season. What game would it be? I, God, it's really tough. There were a few good candidates, I think. I think I would go with one of the two games, that, well, one of the three games that Collingwood played at the Adelaide Oval this year because they also played there in the gather round, and it feels weird saying gather round because of what we do on our podcast. Yeah, usually we just throw in the, the SpongeBob sound. But um, I would <laughs> either Collingwood, Collingwood, Adelaide versus Collingwood round, I think, seven, or mm-hmm. Port Adelaide versus Collingwood, which I think was round 19. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those, and I believe that was Collingwood's first win over Port at the Adelaide Oval as well. I think that's, if you had to choose one, I think that's the one I would choose. That was, yes, round 19. Although there were some other candidates, I think, unfortunately, a couple of the games your Swans lost were classics. The mm-hmm. O'Lear touch at the end, the Sydney Derby where Toby saved the mm-hmm. Giants, I think. There were a lot of good candidates, but yeah, I think it's got to involve Collingwood. Although, honorable mention, I do think there's one that gets slept on out of all of this. The round eight thriller between North and St. Kilda, 64 to 34. <laughs> oh, Is that the boy. lowest score combined this season? I, I, I'm not sure, but it was 64 to 34, 98, yeah, because I know even that. Actually, wait, col- um. Melbourne versus Greater Western Sydney, Alice Springs. Well, was that like, yes, that was, was like forty-eight, forty-six. That was yeah, that was really low scoring, but that was that was honestly one weather. of the biggest downers of the season. What was that? Forty-seven to forty-five. Yeah. I think that's the lowest combined score. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. usually, I mean, like, I love the Alice Springs game, and it sucked that the the weather really made that game. Mm-hmm. It was dour and unwatchable. Yeah, you think back to, you know, the great show they, they had last year at Alice mm-hmm. Springs with, I think it was Kazi putting six up against Port. Mm-hmm. We, we love the the more regional sites. We would, one thing that we've said for a while is, you know, get another Dreamtime game going and make sure you have a game in Darwin that round. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're talking game of the year, I feel like it's got to be one of Collingwood's, especially if we're talking home and away game of the year. I mm-hmm. think Port at Collingwood. I think it's got to be. Well, can I can I throw out a can I throw out a different one that you haven't mentioned yet that it, when I went back and I went, oh man, I can't I can't believe I almost forgot this one, and that is Melbourne v Brisbane round eighteen Friday night footy Melbourne's comeback. The Jake Melksham winner, I believe. What was that? The Jake Melksham winner, I think. I believe so. One hundred five, one hundred four. The the D's win it. The D's win it late after tra- after trailing by twenty one after the third quarter to win by one, beating the Lions. One hundred five, one hundred four. Absolute classic. Because I know there were a few people that I know of that turned this game off midway through the third quarter when the Lions had the bit had had the nice little lead and the D's make a 
tremendous comeback in the fourth quarter to get the win. This was an absolutely epic game for me. It's a Friday night game, so all the eyes are on it. I thoroughly enjoyed this matchup that because this was kind of a wave game. Melbourne started the game. Brisbane kind of fights back. Brisbane takes over in that third quarter with a, with a great little run, and then Melbourne chips and chips and chips and finally gets it done in the last two or three minutes of the, in the last couple of minutes of the game with Jake Melsham kicking a goal at the 28-34 mark of the fourth quarter. So absolutely mental game on this one. This was one of those I thoroughly enjoyed. I had to go back and watch this one because it was an absolute classic. Thoroughly enjoyed that. And I agree, and I agree with you, Ethan. I, I know it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, but that GWS Sydney game early in the year where Toby kicks the goal late, I I that one's hard to go past because Toby is an absolute insane how there was no defender on him. I still to this day don't understand how you could let Toby Green loose at that particular time. It's just an incredible late goal. But yeah, for me, it's it's Melbourne v. Brisbane round 18, that Friday night footy, because that was absolutely mental. But I we agree discussed with you guys. That one, um, we discussed that one offline before coming on. I remember I remember staying fixated on that game. That was I know it was a bit of a disappointing crowd, only about thirty-eight thousand there mm-hmm. for a Friday night. Um I remember being like half asleep for some stretches in the second half, and then I was definitely tuned in for the finish. Mm-hmm. And I, it's unfortunate, you know, the way Melkship's season ended, he'll pretty much be out all of next year now with the ACL injury. And we saw how much the demon structure forward got messed up at the end of the year for so many reasons. So you, you look back at that, you think about the curse of the G reigniting for the Lions. I, I'd say if we, if we make a top five list, that's got to be it, – it's probably the highest rated game on there that doesn't involve – Collingwood mm-hmm. and then for the for the Sydney Derby I think that was Sydney Derby 25 that was you had really the two Tobys were the story there because you also it was really also I think that was Toby Bedford's debut in Orange mm-hmm. and the combination Bedford and Brent Daniels proved to be lethal and allowed Toby Green to kind of do whatever the heck he wanted and end up enabling him to have an all-Australian captain season mm-hmm. definitely for sure but Again, it was just there was there there were several, and again, I agree with you. Like Collingwood always played in close games. I mean, you could almost you could also mark up that this grand final was game of the year. But I agree. I I try to go back to the home and away because I had sometimes some home and away games, if they're just right, can be absolute classic. So we'll also go with this, and I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about this because as Americans, sometimes the Brownlow Medal baffles me because I. I am unaware of any other sport in any part of the world where the umpires, the referees, or whatever you want to call them, vote on the best player. So it's it's a very interesting concept. I've I've been fascinated by it. But your guys' thoughts on Brownlow Medal winner Lockie Neal and and some of the statistics that came out later for a couple, one of his threes, I know Jason Horn Francis got a three, got a three vote game where he only had 13 touches, including four clangers. So my thought process, and maybe this will be interesting as Americans, but do you like the Brownlow system being umpires? Because personally, I, I'm trying to figure out why it's necessary that the umpires do it. I know there's a little bit of tradition to it, and I understand that argument. 
but I really feel like we are making these umpires do 10 times more than what they have to. Why can't we just put a panel together to do three, two, ones for each of these games? I don't know. Personally, your guys' thoughts. I'll go for, yeah, yeah, I'll go first. Um, I like the idea of the umpires being involved because they are following the ball around all game. They have a good perspective of what's going on on ball, but clearly they're just picking some of these off of vibes instead of actually consulting film and numbers. And I think they need to be a part of the process, but I don't think they need to be the entire process. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I guess that's kind of an in-between answer. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't mind umpires being part of things, but having them vote immediately after a, a game where they're focused on so many other things puts them at a disadvantage. And sometimes, yeah, it is the bigger names that get the benefit. You see the, I think it was the, the game that Lockie Neal had in Canberra that got him three mm-hmm. votes. There were a couple times, even, you know, as much as we wanted Bontempelli to win it, we, neither of us think he deserved three votes for the round 24 game against Geelong, and that could have gone to Tom Liberatore there. So there's something that isn't right with the process, and I, and I, I mean, if it weren't for the pageantry around Brownlow Knight coming up on its centennial, I believe, next year, I would say, you know, put a whole lot more stock in the Lee Matthews Award, the the one voted on by the players. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not going to change, and we're going to have to accept that. But I think the process is flawed. And we agree a lot more with the club best and fairest results over over these Brownlow performances. Like, we we love that Jacob Wiedering got the recognition he deserved by winning the John Nichols medal. Nick Mm -hmm. Newman finished second for Carlton's best and fairest, which I loved. Mm -hmm. If... Defenders don't get nearly enough love in the Brownlow process, and a whole lot of rucks as well. How many votes was it that Rowan Marshall yeah. got? Um, the two biggest injustices were Rowan Marshall getting three for the whole season and Patrick Cripps getting 22. So we're already brainstorming how we can do our own award next year, even host our own, like, mm-hmm. goofy version of America's Brownlow Night or something. At first I was thinking of calling it the People's Brownlow, but that sounded way too communist. So I'm thinking <laughs> of America's Brownlow Night. And I don't know, it'll, it'll have to be largely silly, but we will have to send some sort of American award to whoever wins it. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to think for a while about what we can do with this, but we're definitely going to, you know, we're going to watch each game and come with our own three, two, one votes. I'm not sure if we're going to, you know, involve other people like, like you maybe coach or other, other Americans in our league. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but that's, it's something that we're, that we're going to work on. And I think it's going to end up, I think just from a fan perspective, it'll end up being a better representation of the game as a whole. Yes, there's flaws with viewing it on a TV or computer monitor instead, but it'll at least get you more respect for other parts of the field. That's what's Mm -hmm. missing, is that it's so midfield-centric. It takes a superhuman effort, even from a forward, to pull high. I think, what was it, Lockett's last forward to win it? Mm-hmm. Jeremy Cameron not getting more for like a seven goal game where he was basically the entire team. <laughs> yeah, I I know I know several of my, my friends that and the Swans board is is the the last round round twenty four. Errol Goulden had forty two and two and got one vote <laughs> because they lost. I know, and th- and that I understand. Like I would, but I would have given him two because I think Viney got one. Viney was it Fritch got Fritch got the two, and I believe Viney got the one. And personally, I would have had Viney one, Errol two, Fritch three. Personally, that was Fritch. Uh, that was Fritch. Fritch, Fritch straight yep. on return. Yep, he had I just was, returned. Yep. 
Jack Viney top 10. Yeah. We thought that, like, we thought that maybe, you know, you'd see guys like Butters and Golden and, and others being weighed down by teammates in terms of the Brownlow count. Jack Viney probably stopped Christian Petraka for one. He did. He did. There, there's, a, there's a couple of games that I think Christian thought he was going to get three, and Viney got the three and cost him that. I think I Chad. He, I think Chad. Won, I think Chad Warner took a couple. Of, there's a couple of games that I thought Errol would have got three. That Chad Warner got three. So Errol will get one. Oh, he I. I one. If if he doesn't get ta- if he doesn't get tagged more next year, I'll be shocked because I know I know Gold Coast Gold Coast did it to him with Tuke Miller. But other than that, nobody did. And I remember, go- I remember going into the season, going, "I just have this feeling, Errol is going to explode," and he did. And I was like, I was sitting here at the end of, the- as I was watching it, as I was watching Brownlow night, I was, I was literally going, "OMG, Errol Goulden could like backdoor this <laughs> out of nowhere," and he didn't. He felt he he fell a little bit short. And like I said, that last that last game with 40, 42 and two, and only gets one vote, but. I just he almost backdoored a Brownlow out of out of it, and nobody would have expected it just because of the fact he went on that epic run of like four or five rounds where he had three votes. So it was it was absolutely insane. But I'm happy for him. It's one of those again. I don't think Petraka or Oliver will ever win a Brownlow because they've got guys like Gone, they've got guys like Viney, they've got guys like Bradshaw in their team. They got each other. Exactly. Well, and I think that's the reason Bontempelli lost is because Libba took a couple of threes off of them. So it's like you, you almost want to be a one-star team. Like I think that's why Toby Green finished so finished so well is because he really didn't have anybody else that was going to be a a three. Maybe Tom Green the occasional, but it'll be very interesting to see. Emilio a couple times. Yeah. Emilio so. had a great year. Um, and then, I mean, j- just thinking about kind of a, I mean, yeah, Neil doesn't have anybody who can consistently take votes away from him. Um, so, so that's a big factor there. Mm-hmm. You've seen it with guys like Nat Fife in 2015 and 2019. Um, just There are so many teams where, where you go, are going to have these top players competing, even at Collingwood on occasion. You had you had Nick Dacos get votes taken away from him by even his brother or the older guy standing up. That was why going into the season, thinking about like the a team that has like one star that could really do it. Going into the season, my Brownlow pick was Tuke Miller, mm-hmm. and Noah Anderson would have definitely cut into some of his votes at at the end of the day. But I I still want to ride the Tuke train going into next year, especially because he can put on the tagging jobs that he did against guys like Golden, against Lockie Neal in the second Q clash this year. Mm-hmm. That was one of the most surprising results of the season. That's something else that we could talk about here. Just like most surprising result of the year. I'd say Q clash, the second Q clash has to be up there for that, along with Eagles over the Bulldogs round 23. Hawthorne mm-hmm. twins over both the Lions and Pies, I would throw yep. in there. That's, that would, that would have been mine. That would have been mine. As Hawthorne's, Hawthorne's win over Collingwood. I know that Nick Dacos goes down in that game, but – I don't know an expert or anybody that covers footy that even saw that one, even remotely possible. And for Hawthorne to do it when when they did it, 
how they did it was absolutely impressive. And I think it's one of the many reasons why people are talking Hawthorne is if they can have a decent recruiting, decent recruiting, get a few draft picks, they could be, they could be a finals team in two years instead of being a four or five year rebuild. So it'll be, it'll be fascinating to watch that. I agree. I agree with that. Um, For me, it's Hawthorne Collingwood because nobody saw that one coming at all. From day one this year, I've been telling people, Hey, Hawthorne's pretty good. And mm-hmm. I, the only reason I don't think they're going to be a finalist next year is they'd have to jump eight teams to do that. And I just mm-hmm. don't think that's quite doable. That's a whole lot of teams to move past. But I really love the direction they're going in. Like, I, the average exchange between a Geelong and Hawthorne fan right now goes something like, you know, the Geelong fan says, hey, F you, but you got a really good future ahead. And the Hawthorne fan says, Hey, F you, but thanks for giving Isaac Smith a nice send off. But yeah, Very this true. Very true. Hawthorne 2025 and beyond is going to be terrifying. Jai Newcomb's a dude who could be a Brownlow medalist in the next few I years. Agree. I love his game. Mm-hmm. Newcomb, Newcomb actually got beat to the uh, Peter Crivens medal by Will Day, believe it or not. Uh-huh. Despite yep. his suspensions, that was a result that surprised us. Surprised us. Um, mm-hmm. And also, with James Sicily almost uh, likely to get suspended once per year, That'll be another opportunity for Newcomb to pick mm-hmm. up more votes because I don't know. I, I want to see a bit of a study on this, and I'm sure that you know we, we can have people go back and do this if not ourselves doing this. Do players that get suspended see their votes go down after their suspension? Is there a downward trend there? Mm-hmm. That's something that, that could be that would be interesting to follow. Because yeah, you know, once be people once people know, you know, hey. This guy's out of the running for the Brownlow. Why are we considering him when there are other performances we could recognize? Guys happened to happened to Sicily, happened to Caleb Sarong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was noticing that too. That it seemed like after after his suspension, his his three votes went down because he was polling really really well early in the season. So, all right, I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go to some fun some 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 of my I, you guys know I do my burning questions and I'm very fascinated by this because I wish I not only that Mason Cox say this, but then the fact that Fly McRae comes out and, and this is something that's that's kind of got up my craw a little bit when it comes to it is the the only gentlemen that get the premiership medal are the ones that play on the day. And and for me, I've, I've heard arguments on both sides. I've heard arguments by staunch Australians that say, well, the only people that deserve a medal are the ones that win the title. And, and then you hear the ones that are like, well, if you look at, if you look at it, it doesn't just take one day. So I'm fascinated with, with you guys. Again, I know we're Americans, so this is going to be a very, very interesting discussion. Your thoughts on this. Do you think this should be something where almost like the end, like I, my perfect scenario is like the NHL make a, a, a minimum games played in the home and away or one finals game to qualify, to win a premiership medal for your team. If you don't play on grand final day, your guys's thoughts are, or what, what would your guys's um, thought process be? Do you like just the team that plays on the day? Or do you think there should be some kind of way for guys that, don't play on the day, but make an impact and get a medal as well. I think we can preserve the tradition of just the medal going to the actual players in the game, but you know, give rings or a, di- a different medal or something to mm-hmm. the guys who you know played over the course of the season. I think 
just, just do rings for everyone that appeared in even one game or, you know, is on the coaching staff or something. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm a, I was about to say, you know, the night that you, that you unveil the flag, your home opener, have a ring ceremony. Mm-hmm. Have a ring ceremony before the game where you get a chance to honor those players. I agree with Ethan. There's something special in, in the AFL the Grand Final with that presentation that you get those players, those premiership players recognized on the day for what they pulled off, even if it's Billy Frampton. So <laughs> I, I think, yeah, there, there's a medium, there's a happy medium that could be struck there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I believe for the Stanley Cup, I think it's 40 games in the regular season or one game in the Stanley Cup finals. I would say, so, I would say something like, then 11 games in the regular in the home and away or one finals game something akin to that could make sense there for a a ring ceremony of course if it's not you know everyone on the list you're just going to end up with another punch up at a nice steakhouse very true very very I true think everyone who's who appears in at least one game should be eligible to get a ring like, that's usually how baseball teams do it. They're pretty generous with it. Or, like, the players vote, and unless someone's, like, an awful teammate, just rubber stamp, like, everyone who didn't play in that many games. Something like that. It would also be nice to... It also reminds me of, you know, when players come back and play against their old team uh, after winning. You see this, especially in the NBA these days, where, you know, they get, like, little pregame ceremonies for them. I, I could see someone like... Like, I don't know, have, if Taylor Adams does end up going to your swans when they play Collingwood in, in Melbourne, if that happens, just like have a celebrate, have like a little ceremony for him where he, where he gets a ring and Collingwood fans get to honor him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a lot like the, 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 with the American ring ceremony. I, I like that idea. I think that idea is good. It's just very interesting. I've seen, like I said, I've seen a little bit of everything from give everybody, give everybody a medal to, absolutely not we don't change it it's only the guys that play on it and i think there's a happy medium that you could strike that is that isn't too that isn't too far off of it so and i had to look i had to look it up because I, I always thought it was a little bit less but it is it's 41 games that you must play in the regular season to qualify for stanley cup finals or one game in the stanley cup finals so i had i had to look that up i was like i'd always wondered what what the qualifications were for that so or otherwise i think there's a limit i think there's also like you can they also get a certain number of names they can put on there half that as well so the Mm -hmm. team can can petition the league for other names to be engraved Mm -hmm. so there there are a lot of outlets which they could go i think championship rings would be the best way to do it Mm-hmm. keep the tradition of the medals don't do away with that presentation i, I think don't inflate it because it's already a pretty long process already mm-hmm. yeah i think just the prestige of playing in a grand final and winning on you know winning a grand final on the field should be celebrated mm-hmm. but there are ways to honor the other members of the team as well yeah. and that yeah. one, and, and about the coaches you know that's a little bit slippery of a slope because yeah, you're right. Craig McRae was saying it doesn't feel right that I'm the only one that gets a medal. The question is how far down the coaching staff do you go then to mm-hmm. to present these coaches' medals? Do you just go like the, the, the ones who are named assistants or position coaches? It's not something that we've discussed amongst ourselves nearly as much. 
I like that. I do like that the head coach gets honored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and stick with the medals for the players and the head coach, but something else for the rest of them. You know, something for the guys like, say, Max Holmes last year, who was a huge contributor all season. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I've, that's I've grand seen finals, that's grand final sprint winner Max Holmes. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. So and, and uh, I'm the, the next question, and I kind of love it because we're right in the middle of it. And, and that is the fact that we're in the middle of trade period right now. As we are discussing this, we're through day two. Uh, several things have gone. I don't want to go through it because I don't want to take away from some maybe some conversations that we'll have a little bit later in the year. I plan on doing an off season special with my draft expert. And I may see if anybody wants to hop on with me where we will we'll discuss not only the trade, the sign and trade moves, but also the draft picks that are picked up. So my question to you guys, and I know it, this is another one where, where we compare Americans. And I do apologize to this, but I love this. I love that couple of weeks after the grand final is over, we keep this, we keep the conversation going by going into the sign in trade period. It's only a week. So it kind of expediates the process. Your guys' thoughts on this, because it's very interesting because I know we have trade deadlines and all that stuff in American sports over here, but I kind of like this a week and a half, get stuff done, get it over with, get these guys on for their Christmas holiday. And then once they come back from that in early January, they hit the preseason training track. I don't mind the tight window. I mind a whole lot of things about it. I think for an American, the the toughest thing to adjust to is the fact that the players and the Players Association holds really all the cards and they must consent to these moves. They can pick their club of choice and that way really force the other club's hands. So that's something that's very unique to the AFL compared to any American sport where it's the owners of the teams that have the power to trade non-consensually. I think the bigger issue, though, beyond consent for trades, is the compensation. Because the fact that you can have compensation in the first round or even right after the first round just rubs me the wrong way. And the fact that salary is viewed so highly in terms of compensation, and you don't have any regard at all, based on what I've read, to games played, any sort of honors at the team or league level means that just clubs are willing to inflate inflate deals. And like, well, lower clubs are hoping for bigger deals for their outgoing players to get these higher picks. There would be no world in which Ben McKay would be traded for pick three. Yeah, I think some stuff with the compensation process could probably use a little fixing. I would also like to maybe make the trade period itself. I like that it's short. I like that it's action-packed. I would maybe do it a little later on because then there's such a lull for a while before the season ramps up. I, I mean, I get doing it, you know, well well before um, the summer holidays to, to give people time for that. Also, I think it takes a bit of thunder out of the women's season, though, with the timing. And mm-hmm. we just had a great round in AFLW with the Gold Coast beating Richmond by one point on the siren was really invested in that game. You had um, Adelaide beating Melbourne at Casey Fields, which is a shocking result for so many ways, even though the Crows also came in undefeated. So, I don't know, maybe pushing it a little later, maybe if the women have a pre-finals bye at some point, you could push it to that window. I feel like, I feel like it's, 
a little soon. And if you're and if you're wanting to elevate the women's game as well, it it kind of pushes it to the side at this point. Yeah, I, I'm I'm 100 with you on that one. I'm I'm one of those again. I cha- I champion the women's game as much as I possibly can, and, and it is it's frustrating that I'm I'm on the AFL I'm on the AFL website, and I know the AFLW has its own website, but everything is about trade, and it's four hours of trade talk uh, trade talk on on SEN and all that stuff, and I'm just like. OMG. I mean, I understand that you're trying to fill up time since you, you don't have games to talk about, but I mean, it is, it is kind of almost ridiculous. The, the wall to wall coverage for something that if it'll be like any other year, a lot of the big trades won't happen till damn, till damn near the end of it. So it's trade periods. The last few years that I have watched literally most of the, most of the big trades will not happen till the last couple of days because People will dig their heels in. They'll try to get as much as they can, and eventually they will just settle on something later just to get the deal done. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how some of these go. I know as a Swan supporter with Brody Grundy and Taylor Adams both requesting to be at the Swans, it'll be interesting to see what picks go there. Um, I'm interested for for everybody's sake when it comes to it is will will, will pick one be moved or not is, is I think is, is many people's thought process on that. So actually this is actually a great transition since I have a cats fan, an Eagles fan and a Swans fan. I will start, I will start with you, Ben, as the Eagles fan, number one, overall pick. What is one realistic move you want your club to make over this trade period? If Harley Reed is comfortable going out West, if he's made that clear, then yes, dig your heels in as much as you can for pick one. I like that the Eagles have not named a price for pick one. They haven't made it easy. Is My big question is, you know, is having a Westerner in the top few picks and Daniel Curtin enough to pull them in now that North has picks two and three? If you are able to get two and three and a little bit more capital beyond that, I won't necessarily be opposed mm-hmm. to trading pick one. I'm just mostly glad that the Eagles are keeping their options open and that they still have that they still really have the agency in this process. So I'm, I'm honestly waiting for a result at this point. I'm kind of sick of the of the pick one talk, and I'm sick of a lot of the things around the trade period. It's it's kind of a poison pill at this point because mm-hmm. you know you you know that you are going to talk about it even if you don't want to. And actually what Ethan and I are going to do, um, so this is something that, that everybody here can tune into as well, right after the trade period ends. So in the final few days of the trade period, because I think it ends on a Wednesday, Australian time. Mm-hmm. So for the starting from that Monday, Ethan will completely shut himself out. Yes, I'm, um, <laughs> I'm basically copying what a baseball podcast that I listen to does at the trade deadline, where mm-hmm. one of them, one of the two hosts goes completely dark, doesn't follow any of the news, and then, like, after the deadline, like, he tries to guess what happened, and his friend fills him in, and you get his live reactions, and it's really fun. So we're going to do something like that. That sounds like a, that sounds like a fascinating episode. I will definitely have to tune in for that one. So I, I will we go with even, you. We may even need to turn our cameras on for that one <laughs> as well, just to just to see 
if Ethan's eyes truly end up popping out of his head like like Freddy screaming on American Dad. <laughs> I love it. So, all right, Ethan, as the as the Cats man here, Cats fall short this year, don't make finals. What is one move that you think realistically the Cats should try to do this year in the in the in the off season? So far, it's like you know the meme with the guy poking with the stick, saying "do something." That's <laughs> that's just so far. Um, I I just want some sort of on-ball midfielder because that's what we're missing. As as a lesser but nonetheless significant boost, I would love to get a little more small defender help. Like I have really been interested in Liam Henry, which is funny because as of like. Earlier this season, I thought Liam Henry should not be playing. He's not a good forward. And it turns out, no, he's not a good forward, but he's a great ball-moving defender. And honestly, I think, I don't know if the Saints are the best fit for him, considering they have Jack Sinclair do a lot of that. But I would have been interested in him or Xavier Dersma or just someone who can get in contests and, you know, neutralize a guy like a Tom Libertore or a Jai Newcomb, because that's something that, this year's team was really missing. The fortunate mm-hmm. part, though, is that Jai Clark will be coming back into mm-hmm. things next year. Had pretty much all of his first year cut out by a navicular stress fracture. So he's going to pretty much be fresh capital there. So I think that maybe mitigates some of the on-ball worries. Yeah, it's the, it's the small defender that is making me think a little bit more in terms of Geelong. We'll see how the return for Asaba Radagolea impacts things there. Sounds like it could be pick 23 or so. Yeah. I, don't, I don't get how you're telling me Ben Mackay is pick three, but Asaba's worth something 20 picks lower. I mean, it's an actual trade is the difference. Yeah, it's, I don't know, the whole process. That's one. It's... It's a it's a very it's a very weird situation. I I honestly it's like I'm one of those if a player le- if a player leaves you to sign a free agent deal I don't I don't see why you should get anything for it because you couldn't sign him. But, but that's again I mean, me personally. So <laughs> no, I don't necessarily mind a little compensation, but you know, a bit more structured like the way the NFL does it, factoring in the experience and not having it until around the midpoint of the draft because NFL draft it's seven rounds and compensation only starts at the end of the third mm-hmm. and it's limited to like 32 picks. Mm-hmm. So there, I think there needs to be a cap on compensation and then it needs to be later in the draft. Um, thinking about, about your Swans coach, we, we talked online uh, yesterday about the delistings that they made. Mm-hmm. Will Gould, a, a move forward, not late in the VFL season, not being enough to save him. Ryan Clark, being delisted, maybe past his prime, but the best tagging option that the Swans had this past year. Someone's mm-hmm. going to pick him up. I and- everything that I everything that I'm hearing, he he's going to get significant interest, especially considering he was he was the first person to shut Nick Dacos out last year, and, and I think it's it's the one thing everybody talked Finn McGinnis this year and a couple of this like Nick Dacos's first real struggling game was Sydney last year at the SCG and that in that first matchup that they had with each other and I found it funny how quickly people forgot that but I'll I'll answer my own question earlier as a lot of people are like well look at look at what Sydney's doing you, you get Hamling from from the Fremantle Dockers because he played most of the season with Peel Thunder they get James Jordan who couldn't couldn't find himself a game and with Callum Mills's injury he most likely will step in play the wing kind of wing sub in to the to the center square role 
for me, I don't want to pay too much for Adams or Grundy. If if we can keep pick 11, and I, I say we again, if the Swans can keep pick 11. I don't mind it, we if you remember. <laughs> I am technically. Um, if they can keep pick 11 and only cost them their their the the pick 23 and pick 31 I think are the two picks they have currently again this is before the bidding process and everything like that I think they everything has been moved back with pick 3 going to north on the Ben McKay compensation um and then it'll also depend on uh, um Dylan Stevens um what kind of compo pick they get for him moving on to North Melbourne but I just don't want to overpay I don't want an overpay for a a midfielder that I worry is injury prone and a, and a Ruckman that I don't know if he'll ever get his top Ruck game back. And that's my biggest thing. Will, will they, will they improve the Sydney Swans midfield? Absolutely. Because you don't get a, a, a Ruckman like Grundy and not take a step forward compared to Ruck Jesus, who was good, but he still had his deficiencies and, and they were so young last year in the center that I think it, that a, a James Jordan and a Taylor Adams, if we get both of them, is an instant increase in depth and an increase in experience. And so I think both of those and just my biggest thing for realistic is just don't overpay for these guys. Don't overpay, drive a hard, drive a hard bargain if you have to, um, because you, you, you don't want to sell anything in this process. I know I was, I made the mistake of looking online and when Taylor Adams said, it's like, we'll trade, we'll trade golden for Adams. And I went and what planet are you living on? If you're going to get Errol Golden, then I want then I want Nick Dake, then I want Nick Dacos. If we're going to trade you Golden, because that's about the only even trade I see when it comes to it on your team, when it comes to Errol Golden. Unless you're going to trade us Nick Dacos, that's not happening. <laughs> so, um, no, I, I I'm with you. No, don't overpay, especially for those players that are on the older end. You know, mm-hmm. the price for Grundy can be driven up because he's clearly going to be the top rate ruck right away. I I was hoping for better things out of Pete Laddams, but it has not happened. Hayden McLean is a, is a nice, you know, second ruck and mm-hmm. you know, third forward or so option that I was really pleased with this year seeing his progression. Um, but And when it comes to the back, I, I'm surprised that Hamling is getting, you know, so much praise and discussion when with Patty McCartan gone, I'm th- the first thing that I was thinking was, great opportunity for a full season for Lewis Melikin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like Melikin. I, I think Melik I think Melikin's probably going to be your key your your secondary key defender option. I think they keep him in the back pocket for the for the Carltons for the for the two big like the uh, Port Adelaide's that when you have two tall forward options. Brisbane. Where yeah exactly Brisbane with with hip with hipwood and that like that. So I I the biggest thing is I'm still seeing people in, in the Swan side saying, well, we need a key defender. Well, I think Melikin is your key defender. I think once Makai kind of went out the, went, went out the door, which I wasn't super impressed with us being linked to him in the first place, because I wanted to let Melikin have one more shot at it. Um, and he proved it in that game against Carlton. He really did. He really did play really well. So I, I kind of like this option of we needed the intercepting defense, intercepting defender, that will replace Patty McCartan in the backside backside. And I think Hamlin can do that. And the other thing and I agree with you with, with McLean is the fact is that I think he can almost pull the, the Sam Reed role that the forward that has great hands can kick goals, but can go back if need be to be an intercepting defender late in the game to kind of maintain a lead. So there, there's a lot of things to be positive. I I'm like I said, 
trade period can get wacky at times. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to put the quiver in the back, put the, put the arrow back in the quiver yet of, of, of it's over until Adams and Grundy are officially announced as Sydney Swans players. But once they are, there's a lot of people in Sydney that are quite happy because I think they've, they filled a couple of holes that they needed to fill. Yeah, I get, I get that also. And then um, I was going to ask you as well, you know, what are your thoughts then on the sort of sort of tagger role for the Swans going forward? Who do you see on the current list that would be best to fill that now that Clark's not there? I mean, I Robottom could put pressure on anyone, but I feel like you got to keep him a bit looser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to it, when it comes to it, defensively, uh, Harry Cunningham is is a good can tagging small forward. Like he he held Charlie Cameron to zero goals in, in the one game that he matched up on it against Brisbane. I'm I'm interested. I think Will Hayward has kind of taken that taken that role that kind of that lockdown defending forward role. He's not the tagger that that Ryan Clark was, but the issue I think with Ryan Clark was is that is it was hard to get him in the side because skill wise he's okay he's not great that and you can't just take one guy out just to take another guy out because then sometimes you lose your structure a little bit so i'm interested to see if maybe a, J- a james jordan how how does he come in how does he affect that will roll bottom become that tagging defender will be will become that tagging defender in the midfield and and i don't know it, it it's, it's a fascinating move I think some in Swans Land are a little puzzled by Clark's drop, by Clark's being um, delisted, but it doesn't shock me. Like it was, I a couple of the Swans podcasts I listened to, they they'd kind of said that w- it wouldn't shock them if they if Clark was delisted, along with some of the name, basically almost every name that was delisted. I had heard people say that they could see it happening, and again, Will Gould had kind of become, <laughs> he'd kind of become a um, a, a, a a famous name in Sydney because he had been drafted and there was a lot of good positive talks and a lot of people loved what they saw tape wise and it just conditioning never worked out and he just never panned out defensively. I don't know if it was a speed thing. He went forward in the VFL season, but the issue he runs into is he's got a Marty McDonald McLean still ahead of him when it comes to a tall forward. And he just, there was just no way that was going to fit. I mean, they, they, they made last year work with buddy with four, but with buddy retiring, it kind of lets Armadi McDonald and all that. And I know that I was watching trade radio this ten today. And now Fremantle is already, they're readying a, a bid to try to bring Logan McDonald back out West next year. And I, think, and I hope I, the Eagles do the same. They will. I honestly, I think that's the swan. The swan's first thing once trade once trade deadline is done is to put a big contract in front of him. I think he he's 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 the next he's the next big payday guy. Honestly, I think it, when it comes to it. So I'm. I don't think it'll happen unless they can get a, a, a king's ransom for him. Honestly, is is the way I kind of see it. So, all right. I want to. What I actually want to say you know, beyond this, thinking about McDonald and him potentially going out west and what the Eagles could do for him. Maybe the reason why I was a bit mum on giving actual, you know, real answers and not kind of just politicking my way out of it there for about the Eagles this offseason is I think this offseason, I think this is, I think next offseason, the 2024 offseason is the bigger one for them. Mm Because I think you're going to have more of their older players aging out and I, and there's a chance for another, there's a very high chance for another bottom two or bottom three finish. And it's at that point that you really are going to start to need to get the younger structure in place. 
make the push for McDonald and, you know, take stock of what pieces that, what pieces you have in your list already that can actually fit you going forward. Um, there, I'm not sure still if Zane True has a contract for the Eagles. I love talking about, you know, the, these fringe guys for the Eagles because if there's any team that nobody knows about in terms of the fringe guys, it's West Coast because <laughs> not only do they suck, but they're not in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Now, Zane True didn't get a whole lot of time this year, didn't play in the last round. I'm hoping the only reason for that is because somebody had to make way for Luke Shuey to give him a proper somersaulting send-off with his son. But Zane True's performance as the substitute in that round 23 win against the Bulldogs more than convinced me that he needs to be someone to at least get another go-around and more consistent AFL time next year with his ball-winning ability, with his penchant to just put on the right kicks at the right times. And so I think... I hope the Eagles don't miss out on that, especially because they've let some of their other faster players like Sam Petrevsky Seaton go. That's just a name that I'm really keen on going into next year and will continue to harp about until I just, until I see something else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, any West Coast Eagles list talk, I may be the guy and I live about as far away from Perth as you could possibly be to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's all that's all passion there. So, all right, I want to have a little fun before we end the episode. I want you to pull out your crystal balls, guys. I want to have a little bit of fun. I know this is there's still tons of trade radio. There's still tons of stuff to go on. We've got the draft in, but I want really quickly in your thought process, just from what you've seen next year, early call. Who's your premier? Who are some of the finals team? Who are some of the finals teams that you see making finals again next year? And who's your early call for Brownlow next year? Well, I've got a snow globe right here. That's close to <laughs> I love it. It's a feel that it's really a fog globe. This is a <laughs> San Francisco Giants giveaway. <laughs> it's actually really cool. Not gonna lie. Awesome. That uh, is it's a Carl the Fog globe with the bridge and the stadium on. It's actually one of the best giveaways I've seen. Yeah, fantastic. Anyway, let's see. Um, I could honestly see Collingwood going back to back as hard as that is. I think the Swans are going to be much stronger than last year. Just you saw what they looked like as they got healthy towards the end. We know that someone who missed finals this year will make the top four. So the obvious two picks there are Adelaide and Geelong. Mm -hmm. I think what you're going to see, I want the finals matchup I want for next year for a lot of reasons is for Melbourne to beat Carlton. And if they are able to reel in, and if Clayton Oliver's, you know, on track in, in terms of personal stuff, which, dear God, I hope he is. Like, I, I have come to really like this whole Melbourne group. And honestly, they'd be like team. Like, if I had to do a hierarchy of, of my 18 teams, I'd put the Ds up there at three or four. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, that, in that whole pack beneath West Coasters, like Geelong, GWS, Melbourne, I want... Melbourne to get another flag out of this era and for Petraka to be rewarded in, on both an individual and team front. Like the matchup I want is for Melbourne to beat Carlton. Do I see it happening? No, because I feel like one of Melbourne and Carlton will be an early finals exit. Mm-hmm. No, nope. completely can see that. Yep. You know what? Carlton will be a straight set out next year there. 
top four straight <laughs> sets. That would be, I mean, I'd prefer they just lose a lot, but <laughs> top four straight <laughs> sets. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. For me, premieres, I'm I, I'm gonna go off this. Collingwood's gonna be the hunted next year, even even more than they already are. I think it's gonna be Bris. I think it's Brisbane because I think if they can if they can get um if, if they can get healthy again and get get some of the their youngster, their the one youngster that tore his ACL OMG, I totally Bill Ashcroft. Yep. If Ashcroft can get back next year, I think he adds more depth to their midfield and he gives a little bit of help to Lockie Neal a little bit to there. I think already Bris- their second best midfielder. You know, thinking back to the Brown, oh, there I agree. were a few occasions where where he had three votes and surprised me that he got them over Neil. I think it's because mm-hmm. he has a bit more of a, a, a good bit more of a goal kicking touch. But yeah, you could have yeah. Ashcock coming back late, Jasper Fletcher maturing, Tom yep. Duty coming into things late in the season. Mm-hmm. I want it to be like, I like Brisbane as well. I feel like someone's going to get in their way. They're not going to have another perfect gamma season. No, nah, I, I think it'll be interesting. I I, I think Brisbane, my, my top four right now, if, if you maybe. Brisbane, Brisbane, Collingwood, Melbourne, Brisbane, Collingwood, Melbourne are my three. I think if Carlton can find the right vibe, I think Carlton has the right group to get top four. It'll be interesting on that one. I think GWS takes a step. GWS takes another step forward. They stay in the top eight. I think Sydney find their way back in if they can stay healthy. Adelaide, and then I, I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna fight with myself because I think. I understand that Adam Muse will come into Richmond, but I think Richmond needs to Richmond's going to take a little bit of a step back because I think when you lose some of the guys that they lost, it's going to take a little bit to replace the Western Bulldogs. I think fall out. I think Geelong gets back in if they can get healthy and figure out more depth in their midfield, if they can get Cam Guthrie healthy for an entire season. I think that instantly increases them. They got some, they got some time into Geelong. So that would be my eight. You're leaving Port completely out. I think Port Port is one Port is one of those where I think if you body their smaller midfielder, I think you can kind of you can kind of bully ball them. Jordan, Jason Horn Francis, as much as as much as I, I he's got talent, he still has not shown me what everybody kept telling me, and that's that this kid is this kid is this incredible midfielder. Personally, he he just has not shown it consistently, in my opinion. Now, if he comes out and does it next year, I'll be absolutely, I'll be absolutely tipping my cap to him. But I just, I don't see it. I, I, I see that he has lulls in his game, and, and Butters and Rosie. Eventually, I, I said they're they're slimmer bodies. If they if they face some of the bigger body midfielders of some of the top level teams, they're going to start to struggle. And can they piece together a decent defense? Can Zerk that can they get Zerk Thatcher? Will they get a Sava Radicalia or not? Will oh, I either... think they get both of them? Well, I think well... they get both of them and it's and it's going to help. You'll have you know bulkier bodies that can that can help a Lear there. Mm-hmm. So but if they are to keep their spot in the eight, the one guy that I'm really looking at to be the impact player that we haven't spoken about yet is Willem Drew, the redhead tagger, who isn't a huge body either. So, I mean, I think it's going to require Ollie Wines going back into the middle and doing well as he did near the end of the season. I think Drew will be the most important piece as a tagger. There was a lot of discussion this year, Coach, about whether the art of the tag had been lost in the AFL. And I think there were enough points in the back half of this year where people realized its importance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why I was so 
keen on your answer about the um, Ryan Clark about the tagging situation for the Swans post Ryan Clark. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that goes. It, it, it's it's a fast it's a fascinating part of the part of the game that I'm very very much interested in. So, well, gentlemen, I do not want to take up any more of your time. I know it's starting to get early in the evening and it's starting to get late over here in the Midwest. It has been fantastic chatting with you, gentlemen, this year, and, and then and and then today it's been absolutely fantastic. You guys do fantastic work. I love your podcast. It it is a great listen, especially considering you guys look at things just a little bit differently than i do so i love i love hearing different ideas and different thought process on the game of footy so personally thank you gentlemen for what you guys do on the podcast and thank you again for hopping on the podcast today thanks so much for having us yeah um thank you coach you're, thank you thank you as well for yeah for having us and also for helping me get invested uh more into the women's game um and just so you, just just a plug at the end again I'm Benjamin Castle at BenjaminHK01. He's Ethan at Castle Media. Castle with a K, by the way. And on Twitter and on YouTube, yes, I still call it Twitter. Screw X. We are at, <laughs> we are at Americans Footy. And, uh, Coach, I know that we're going to get you on uh, at some point this offseason. We're looking to do a fair batch of interviews to to fill up this kind of offseason Winter time for us here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, you guys let me know. Would absolutely love to have you on. And Ben, it's great to see you commenting on the women's. It was fa- it was fantastic to see you hop on. And like I said, you picked a wonderful round to absolutely go on to. And, and speaking of that, I know that this will probably come out just after, but my my women's review just came out and it was absolutely fantastic. I talked with Sample W Sample W player Steph Simmons, who who is an absolutely fantastic conversation. She was absolutely magnificent. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. And I'm loving the women's season this year. It's too damn short. Darn it. I want 12. I want 14. I want 16. I want 17. I want to let all of these women play everybody at least once, but I won't go on my diatribe on that one. So ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for another episode of Donnie's Disposals. Again, the men's season is over. Keep an eye out. We'll probably get to about mid-December just after the draft before we will do our off-season review. I will get Pete from rookie me central to talk about our draft picks and go over all of the trades and the trades and the moves to see who has new places. And then as always next year, we will, we will hop back on for the men's season with a preview. And then I will, I will end the episode before I get off this. I must say, I will hand the crown over to you, Ben. This year was our fantasy league champion beating me in the finals. So Ben, congratulations on that. It was a magnificent season. Thank you both for joining our fantasy league this year. I know Lee is still pissed at me because for the first two seasons, I kept nipping him at the end and this year you do it to me. So I got, I got Brad buried. I don't mind it. It was fantastic. Thoroughly enjoyed playing uh fantasy footy with you too and i know we will get the league back up again for sure this next season so let it be known that i had the second best semifinal score but <laughs> going up against you. i know and, and the funny thing is that i got absolutely poleaxed in the grand in in the grand final because i i swear five or six of his guys had like career best days. It was mentally. It was exactly. It was mental. He had had like some like 120 in both of the final two rounds. I was, I held on to, I think 11 of my 22 throughout the year. And he Mm. was one of them. Yep. 
yeah i and so it, but it was a lot of fun like i really really enjoyed this season because the, there was so much interaction there was so there was so much movement it was absolutely fantastic i thoroughly enjoyed it i cannot wait for next year already so that is going to do it for our episode thank you again for watching keep keep an eye out for more footy content again i will have my supporter series over the off season where i chat with state league fans to try to get all of the sample and waffle teams covered so i can find out a little bit more about these magnificent awesome state league clubs that is going to do it we will see you again very very soon with another episode of donnie's disposals in your ear Here's the song.